Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is always really good to be here with you guys and to get to look into God's Word together. So our family also did some traveling. We actually just got back from taking our four kids to Disneyland for the first time. Yeah. In typically efficient fashion, we decided to do it in one day, which felt a little like going to battle. We had strategy prep sessions beforehand. The term deploy was actually used as in, well, I'm doing this ride with two of the kids. We're going to deploy you to start waiting in that line with the other two kids. Afterwards, there were debriefing sessions where each ride was rated. I'll spare you the charts, but suffice it to say, we survived. The kids had a lot of fun. But there was definitely a moment when I was like, what we're doing is a little bit crazy. Like we're getting up at 6.30 a.m. on vacation so we can wait 30 minutes in line instead of 90 minutes in sweltering heat all to get on a ride that will last maybe a few minutes. And as I looked around at all the other families doing the exact same thing, I had to wonder what our actions were saying about what we believed. Like, maybe we'd actually come to have faith in Disney magic. That Disney's carefully crafted version of immersive escapism can actually deliver happiness. Our actions tend to reveal what we believe. Because in the end, faith is action. And that's what we've been looking at in our sermon series entitled, Yesterday, Today, and Forever where we've been looking at timeless examples of faith given to us in Hebrews chapter 11. And you know, we tend to think of faith as belief. But this chapter isn't describing a bunch of people sitting around thinking. It's describing some pretty crazy actions. Faith may begin with belief and reason, but it's always a conviction that shows itself through action. If we want to learn how to live the life of faith, then we should imitate the actions we see in this chapter. And today, we're going to look at the actions of Abraham. Of the 18 people mentioned by name in this chapter, Abraham gets more press, more verses than any other person. Several aspects of his story are mentioned in Hebrews, but today we will focus on the first, his call, which is described in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham's action here is to step out in faith. That's our takeaway for today, that we need to step out in faith. What Abraham shows us is that stepping out in faith involves two different movements, each corresponding to when the phrase by faith occurs in our text. First, it involves leaving. By faith, Abraham leaves. 
And secondly, it involves looking forward. By faith, Abraham looks forward. Let's look at those two things today, leaving and looking forward. First, leaving. Let's read the story in Genesis that Hebrews is referring to, beginning in Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So Abraham is from Ur, a big pagan city over there to the right, and his whole family left intending to go to Canaan over there on the left, but they never made it because when they got to Haran, there in the middle, they settled there. Then in Haran, God speaks to Abraham for the first time. And the ESV translation here says, go from your country. But the meaning there is more like, get yourself out. There's two words in the Hebrew there, you and out. Literally, go yourself out or get yourself out. This is a personal call. Like even though your family doesn't want to go any further, you get yourself out. I'm a list person, uh, so when making decisions, I tend to list out pros and cons. If Abraham was a list kind of guy and he was making a table of the advantages of leaving versus staying, it might look something like this. Now remember, we're told Abraham was 75 years old at this point. So given he lived to be 175, this would be the modern equivalent of being in his, say, 30s or 40s. He's in midlife. He's not just some young chap with nothing to lose. He's settled. He's got a house, job, financial security. His family's there. His wife's family is nearby. It's a familiar culture. He's used to the customs there. And he has citizenship, which back then was huge. There are records of people choosing to die rather than lose their citizenship. Because without it, you not only lost all your political and social rights, but you were dishonored. It was a real stigma not to be a citizen. In short, Abraham's got it all. He has everything most of us spend the first half of our lives trying to acquire. He's got everything most of us look to for identity, belonging, and security. And on the other side of the table is one big question mark. Now, we're so familiar nowadays with the idea of the Israelites going to the promised land that we forget that Abraham had no clue at this point. The only promise he had was one that I think we'd all agree is super vague. I'm going to bless you. Great for a throw pillow, not so much for our data table. 
Abraham had no idea where he was going. Look, what's happening here occurs at a watershed moment in the story of the human race. Since creation, things have gone on a downward spiral, but right here, everything shifts. The narrative zooms in on this one family who will become God's people, and the first thing God says is, get yourself out. We cannot follow God until we are willing to leave. God is asking Abraham to leave what he's achieved, what he possesses, what other people think of him, what seems most comfortable or easy, all that stuff on the left side of the table. But God is also asking Abraham to leave everything on the right side of the table. He's asking Abraham to give up not only any plans he had for his future, but needing to know anything at all about his future. God is asking Abraham to leave all these things so he can base his primary source of identity, belonging, and security on God alone. So he can hear and follow God as clearly and completely as possible. And he can't do that until he's willing to leave. When our kids were toddlers, there was this one time where they played pretend by cutting out these little squares of paper. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. What are they going to do with that? Well, they took this paper and toddled around, holding it in their hands and staring at it. Sometimes they held it to their ears. Other times they tapped on it with their fingers. And I realized my children were pantomiming me, right? Like it was their nonverbal way of saying, Mom, you're so focused on your phone sometimes that you don't see me. You think you're multitasking successfully, but actually you don't really notice what I'm trying to say to you. Your body might be here with me, your words may say I'm important to you, but your mind and heart is on your Pinterest board, whatever. It can get like that with how we live our lives. Like we may believe in theory that God is important, but what we give our attention to and therefore what ends up capturing our heart, what ends up being our main identity and security are all these other things. And it's not that those things are bad in and of themselves, but we can get so attached to them that we can't hear or follow God well. That's why sometimes we have to learn what has historically been called detachment. We detach not because we don't care about these things, but in order to make space to attach to God above all things. The things we need to detach from are often demands or distractions. Demands are urgent needs of the moment. Sometimes they're noisy and grab your attention, like the way there always seems to be some chore to be done or child to help around the house. Other times the demands are more subtle, like maybe the insidious pull of your work culture or subconscious cues that your phone or people around you are sending. Distractions are fillers. They are things we know aren't urgent or important, but that somehow end up filling a lot of our time Often, it's what's most comfortable or easy to do. The prime example of this for me is Netflix, uh, where they have that autoplay function. 
so the next episode of the show just automatically starts playing before I've actually decided to start watching it. And somehow, hours later, I'm still watching a show. I can't remember ever making a conscious decision to keep watching, which is a brilliant strategy. And to add another D word, uh, which depending on who you are, you might find delightful or annoying, these demands and distractions that we may need to detach from usually happen by default, right? It's not like I sat down one day decided that this rectangular hunk of metal was more important to me than a two-year-old person. It just became a default behavior. We're always going to drift towards what's most demanding or distracting, and before long, we're living for these things. Like That's always going to be the default, unless we obey the call of God to leave. What do you need to leave in order to hear and follow Jesus better in your life? Maybe the demand or distraction is an activity, you know, something you do that you need to take an intentional break from. Maybe it's a material thing and God is calling you to take a look at your possessions and maybe purposely give away something you own. Maybe it's a relational thing, being more intentional about the nature or boundaries of some relationships in your life. Maybe it's a mental thing. Maybe you're consumed by the demands of the cognitive load you constantly carry or undistracted, distracted by ungodly thought patterns or anxieties about the future that run through your mind. Maybe you need to ask God to help you cast some of these things off. We don't leave for the sake of leaving. We leave in order to follow God. That is what elevates detachment from a simple exercise to an act of faith. By leaving, we are saying in faith, God, you are the most important reality in our lives. And we want how we live to purposefully reflect that. See, Abraham was able to leave without knowing where he was going because he knew with whom he was going. Abraham wasn't following a circumstance, a situation, a possession, a reputation. He was following God alone, and his leaving was an act of faith in that God. So we've seen that the first movement of faith is leaving. The second movement of faith is looking forward. Let's read Hebrews 11, 9. By faith, he, that's Abraham, went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. On the road trip down to Disneyland, you can probably guess the question that our kids kept asking. They actually like to ask a more quantitative version of the classic, are we there yet? Which goes, how many more minutes do we have before we get there? How many more minutes? Gets to a point where we're like, just subtract three minutes from the last time you asked us that question. And here's the thing about Abraham, right? He never arrives. His earthly life ends up being like a road trip that never ends. Even when he finds out where he's headed and gets to the land God promises him, he doesn't possess it. 
I mean, I don't know if this surprised him, but there were already other people living there. They lived in the cities. He and his sons lived in tents. That word live in, when Hebrew says he went to live in, it's a word that means to sojourn, to inhabit a place without possessing actual ownership or citizenship. In fact, his whole life, the only land Abraham ever owned was Sarah's tomb, a cave he purchased to bury his wife in towards the end of his life. I don't know about you, but for me, that would be the definition of mission failure. But Abraham didn't see it that way. He was willing to live his whole life in this space between promise and reality. Think about the kind of faith it took not only to leave, but then to live for the rest of his life with a kind of persecution, discomfort, and uncertainty of wandering through a land he was promised but never actually possessed. How did he do this? What was his secret? Hebrews tells us. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations. That word translated looking forward means absolute confidence that is continuous and ongoing. Abraham had continuous confidence in his eternal future and his ability to live his earthly life according to that heavenly reality was the secret of his faith. Abraham had a faith that looked forward. To illustrate this, I have here some rope, which I have to thank John Dustman for procuring, as I did not have this lying around the house. And some of you are wondering, what is she going to do with that rope? Pull a cart, tie a knot, throw a lasso, something a lot more boring. I'm going to hold it. So this illustration is from Francis Chan. Some of you may have heard it already, but it bears repeating. Imagine that this rope goes on forever. So if you're sitting close enough, you can see that it does go off the end of the stage, runs along the back of the room, and out the back door. But imagine that after that, it goes around the world a few times. This rope goes on forever. Now imagine that this rope is the timeline of your existence. You exist forever. You see this blue part? This blue part represents your time on earth. You've got a certain number of years here on earth, and then you've got all of eternity someplace else. This is your existence. And the interesting thing is that so many of us, all we do is think about this blue part. We're just consumed with it. We're like, ah, I gotta figure out what to do here so I can get here. And I can't wait till I arrive right here. Like, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to save so I can really enjoy this part right here. And we're not thinking at all about the rest of the rope. The Bible tells me that what I do in this little blue part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions of years forever. So why would I spend this blue part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible when I've only got one chance at this life before I've got to face eternity? See, if you think life is just about this blue part, then nothing Abraham did makes sense. But to Abraham, who saw the whole rope, 
We're the ones who make no sense. I think we'd all agree that living in some tents during this blue part is nothing. If you're going to live in a city with foundations for the rest of the whole rope, or facing some discomfort, facing some instability during this blue part, is nothing if you're headed to your real home and identity for the rest of the rope. See, Abraham's reference point for life was not his time on earth. It was this unseen but very real eternal future. And he lived for that future with a kind of faith that brought that future reality into the present, that brought it into view for people around him. How would you be living differently if you had the long game in mind? If you oriented your life around the reality of eternity, how would it change what you value or don't value in this life? How would it change what you invest in? How would it change what you're willing to bear with? Abraham shows us that stepping out in faith is an action we take through leaving and through looking forward. Now, the passage we read today is far from the last time Abraham will step out in faith in his life. The late pastor, Tim Keller, liked to summarize Abraham's life this way. God says, get out, Abraham says. Where? God says, I'll tell you later, just go. He arrives, God says, settle down, Abraham says, when, God says, I'll tell you later, just wander. God says, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham says, how? God says, I'll tell you later, just wait. Finally, God says, take your son and go to the top of the mountain and sacrifice him. Abraham says, why? And God says, I'll tell you later, just climb. Abraham never stopped stepping out in faith. In fact, you could argue that each time he was called to do it, it got a little harder. There's a progression of growth there. See, stepping out in faith, learning to leave and look forward are progressive and continual experiences. They're not necessarily two separate or even sequential movements but always happening and overlapping. The looking forward that compels us to leave and the leaving that makes room for us to look forward. They're both things that we practice over and over throughout our lives. So here's the big question for today. How is God calling you to step out in faith? Maybe he's calling you in a big way. We just heard about our team that came back from Honduras. Maybe he's calling you to step out into cross-cultural missions. Or maybe to step out into a new vocation or area of service. To leave what's familiar and face uncertainty because you're looking forward to what will matter in eternity. Maybe he's calling you to step out in a more day-to-day kind of way. To take a risk in a conversation or a relationship, to persevere, to step out in marriage or parenting or caregiving. A lot of those things require that we leave behind a life that's all about us or what we want, and we can see that as something to get through, or we can see it as a calling that has eternal significance. 
how might God be calling you to step out in faith? By stepping out in faith, by leaving everything he had to wander the world, Abraham points us to Jesus because Jesus did that for us, right? Jesus left heaven. That's a pretty big deal. He left behind a kind of glory and power that, frankly, none of us can probably imagine. He left that to wander as a sojourner on earth with never a place to lay his head. He died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again. And that's why we can look forward to eternity with confidence. Jesus is the reason we can step out in faith. And as we consider, we're going to transition to a time of communion. Longtime pastor Eugene Peterson writes, Without the Eucharist, it is very easy to drift into a spirituality that is dominated by ideas about Jesus instead of receiving life from Jesus. Without the Eucharist, it is very easy to drift into a spirituality that is dominated by ideas about Jesus instead of receiving life from Jesus. You know, one thing our text didn't go into today was... Once we've made space by living, once we understand we're living for eternity, how do we attach ourselves to Jesus in our current moment? Communion shows us how. We do it by receiving life from Jesus. All the best ideas and intentions in the world won't change us unless we're receiving life from Jesus. It does us no good to read or talk about the bread and wine. Jesus invites us to come to the table and consume it. And this is something, yes, we have to choose to do, to act to do. But ultimately, it's the mysterious and inevitable work of God's grace in our lives, right? The way that bread and wine mysteriously yet inevitably nourishes our bodies. Communion also shows us that the life of faith is something we do together. It's no accident that the author of Hebrews cites not one person, but a whole bunch of people as examples of faith. We get the fullest picture of faith when we look at all the different ways each of us acts in faith, and we're encouraged to persevere in it when we know we're not doing it alone. The author of Hebrews calls all these people in chapter 11, our cloud of witnesses. Somehow Abraham is actually watching us, and we are each other's witnesses in this life of faith. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He also took the cup and said, this is my blood, which is spilled for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together as we prepare ourselves for communion. God, your word exhorts us to examine ourselves as we come to the table. And so help us now, Holy Spirit, with honesty to examine ourselves. How have we let the many distractions and demands in the world keep us from seeing you, keep us from following you completely? How have we oriented our lives around all that is now rather than the reality of eternity? As we consider these things, God, show us 
how you might be prompting us to step out in faith today so that we can follow you as an act of faith in you. Show us how to abide in you, to receive our life from you as we do that every single day this week. We do this together. We do it by your grace, and we do it for your glory, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you.